right, good morning, church, whether you're here in person, which is a handful of us, or if you're online on this icy, wet, miserable Sunday morning here in Poundville, Vermont, in the Bennington County area. Thank you for being with us online. I love the availability and the option to be able to do that, especially on days like today. So I hope that you take this moment, you take this uh, this Sunday morning to be able to share this post. We say it each and every week uh, to do it, even if you're here in person. But now is the perfect time. If you're online only today and you're not here in person with us, then you can get on there and you can share this post a thousand times over. You got plenty of opportunity to do so. So Thank you so, so, so much for being here online with us at Faith Church. It's so exciting to be able to come here to you uh, in person or via uh, Facebook and YouTube. So if you have issues with one, jump on the other. We got the wonderful, talented, uh, incredibly motivated uh, Dawn, Miss Dawn. She's helping out again, as usual. It kind of was reminiscent. We were talking earlier about the, uh, the pandemic. So a couple of years ago, whenever we first started to go online, it's almost been two years. Can you believe that, Dawn? It's almost been two years since we did this first. We had the whole set. We we just got cameras. We did. It was man. It's incredible how things have changed in two years. Uh, and here we are back because of weather doing this again. So uh, awesome. So thank you for being here. As you're getting on. I want to uh, encourage you. We've got a online question for you and a question in person that we're going to discuss together during the five minute break. But I want to give it to you now and then we'll come back to it in a few minutes. Can you remember someone in your life who was a commanding authority figure? All right. So somebody in your life that was a commanding authority figure. All right. We just think through teachers, parents, uh, uncles, I don't know, whoever it would be. Somebody in your life is like, man, that person really stood out as someone who just had this commanding authoritative presence. All right, so be talking about that. Uh, Miss Dawn's going to post that in the chat. She's going to get you rolling on that. Make sure you discuss it. As you're discussing, let me get to a few announcements, and then we'll come back to that in just a minute, okay? All right, so one, if you are new here physically or in or online, join us for the first time. I want to welcome you. Make sure you get a guest bag. Make sure that you, uh, if you're here in person, if you are online, make sure you know we have a free e-gift for you. we got a book that we'd love to give you, so please make sure you let us know because we want to bless you with that. This morning, all right? Uh, so make sure you let Dawn know, hey, I'm new here, first time, second time, whatever. If you haven't got that gift, we'll make sure we get it to you. Make sure you get welcomed warmly, all right? Don't just hide in the shadows. Join in the conversation. Also, hey, Faith Kids isn't happening in person, all right? Not this morning, as we only have one volunteer or maybe two that could do it. So we're doing it all online today. So if you have children uh, ages 3 to 13, we encourage you to use our online kids platform. It's a great resource for parents and, uh, and kids to be able to use, to be able to get Jesus-centered content on their level. So make sure you're taking part in that. We have a link on our Facebook page. Click it. Takes you right to it. Super, super, super simple. Engage on that. Maybe it's your first time doing that, all right? Make sure you're using it. Share it with some family you think that might benefit from it, okay? Feel free to do that. Also, we got a couple of things going on, man. I have more than a couple, actually. We got a lot of things going on here at Faith in January. Uh, and so I just want to make sure we know what's happening as, as a church together. One is that this coming Saturday, weather permitting, <laughs> this coming Saturday, January 15th, we're going to be opening Junction Cafe, which I'm super excited about. Man, it's been, oh man, that's been a long process. So, so, so long. So I encourage you, invite, invite, invite. Uh, make sure you know people can come in and just grab a cup and leave. They can come and hang out. Out. They can get a latte, cappuccino, whatever you want, all right? Just make sure you know that Sunday, uh, Saturday, 
January 15th, 7 a.m. to 11 a.m., Junction Cafe is open for business, all right? It's all donations. Just pay what you want. All the money besides what it takes to make the coffee is going to go back to community cause, all right? So just be knowing that what, what your money is going towards is not uh, just the coffee. It's to bless this community in new and unique ways. So make sure you're taking part in that each and every Saturday as we stay open as long as we can on Saturdays. And we hope to add more days during the week in the spring, all right? A couple other things, Believer's Basic Training. I noticed this, I noted last week that if you're new or have been here for the past six months and uh, you want to be a little more connected to Faith Church, we, this is a great time to do this. Uh, BBT is a three-week process that is incredibly helpful to be able to know, one, what we believe is a church, two, how you fit in, and uh, three, how it all kind of works together, all right? So make sure you're taking part in that. Sign up for it online, faithchurchvt at gmail.com, or see me. Text me, whatever you need to do. We'll make sure you get you in next Sunday, immediately after the experience, okay? Also, the annual meeting, Sunday night, 6 p.m., January 30th. So I'm super excited. We only do one meeting a year. That's it. That's all I can take. So we're just doing that one. Sunday, 6 p.m., make sure you know that today we're going to discuss uh, the, the coming year. We're going to discuss the budget that we've set, and uh, it's going to be good. We're also, we'll take communion, as we always do in that meeting, just so you know that as well. All right, a couple more things I want to highlight. Men and women's devotional groups. We've got a great women's online daily devotional that is there in an app. It's really convenient, really easy to use. And they're gathering in person on Wednesdays at 6, so get in on that. And then men, we will meet back Wednesday, January 19th at 6 p.m. as well. So we'll be upstairs, the woman will be down, and then you can come together if you're a couple or uh, to alternate weeks, do whatever you want to do to make it fit for you guys. And we're going to have a great time working through some, some great content together this uh, winter slash spring, all right? And the very last thing I got is Night to Shine is happening. And it always sneaks up on me, Dawn. Every single week, uh, or every single year, rather, I get this note. It's like, oh, yeah, Night to Shine's happening. And I'm like, duh, it's every February. So here it is. And what they need this year is unique, all right? So usually they need people to volunteer to help a chaperone or do different things within the event. This year, they're doing a parade. It's called a shine-through, all right? And so to help with that, what they just need is people to be willing to stand on Main Street in Bennington uh, Saturday afternoon, February 12th, and just wave to, to bless Bless uh, those who are special needs uh, in, in a very unique and fun way. I'm really excited to be able to take part in this myself and my family as we line up on Main Street and just encourage and uh, congratulate those people with special needs and celebrate them on, th on that day, on the weekend of love, to show love to them in a very special way. So uh, make sure if you want to sign up for that, one, you can either see me or email the church or Jennifer Boucher. She's a great resource. She's helpful, uh, really helpful in that. So make sure you're getting up with her on Facebook or if you need her number, I'll, I'll see if I can get it and pass it out to you guys. Just make sure that you know Saturday, February 12th in the afternoon, they'll set a time in a, in a little bit. And uh, if you want to volunteer just to be there, wave and celebrate together. Just let her know, all right? Or let us know. All right. Very last thing we always offer each and every week is giving as always. Each and every single week, we encourage you not first to give, but to receive. So if you're in need and you have something going on in your life, maybe it's a heat bill, electricity bill, rent's due. I don't care what it is. You got something happening in your life where you can't make ends meet for whatever reason. Let us know. All right. Don't suffer alone. Don't think you got to just rely on, on friends and family that you may have tapped for several times. Call us, right? Text us, message us, use the phone, 802-823-7828. Get us online at Facebook, PM us there. Do whatever it takes to contact us so we can reach back out to you and do our best to meet that need in your life and to show you the love of Jesus along the way. 
If you're in our church family, we encourage you to give to that end as well. Part of your money, as as it goes to so many things in this community, is towards things like that. And so we encourage you to give. Today, it's going to be online, all right? So if you're online today, the easiest way, hey, go to our website. Open up a new tab. Don't close this one. Go open up a new tab. Go to faithchurchvt.com. You'll see a give button. Just press it. And that's all it takes. You just put it in an amount and you're off and running. It's so, 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 so simple. You can't ask for anything easier than that. All right. We love, love, love to offer that option and love for you to give because each and every gift goes out to blessing Pownal and the communities around us in a very direct way. It's really intentionally reaching out to your neighbor and your friends and your family in a way that maybe you alone can't. So I want to highly encourage you to give and share in that generosity that we do as a church each and every single week. All right. Now, we got that stuff out of the way. Let's, uh, let's jump into the message, and then we're going to get to that question and give you even more time to ask and answer that. We'll do a five-minute break here in a minute, but I want to make sure you have time to think on that. So make sure you're asking and answering the question, can you remember someone in your life who, has a, who is a commanding authority figure? But before and while you're doing that, I want to kind of catch us up on what we're doing here, all right? If you're able to join us last week, we began a new series working through the whole book of Mark, right? Well, the beautiful thing about a calendar uh, is that I can look at it and say, hey, there's 16 weeks between January 1 and Easter, and there's 16 chapters in Mark. So what better way to get closer to Jesus than starting a new series we've called Living with Jesus by looking at his life, his miracles, his encounters, and those who interacted with him through the book of Mark, one chapter each week, all the way to Easter. Super excited about this journey with you. Uh, My hope is that as we do that, we're not just listening to history, right? Because sometimes it can seem that way when you're reading the Bible. It's like, man, this seems so dry and so boring. What I hope we do is immerse ourselves in the moments, right? Really get into each week, the joy, the pain, the smells, the sounds, really sit in these these moments, these experiences that, that Mark is recounting to us here, right? And that we take that, uh, Sunday is just a jumping off point. We're going to take this. And we're going to go during the week. We're going to live with Jesus in a new and unique way to be shaped by him differently because of what we encounter here this morning. So last week, we began very appropriately at the beginning, right? Very beginning, chapter one of Mark. And I, I mentioned in passing last week, because I want to clarify this, that Mark uh, has recorded here what most believe to be the words of Peter, all right? So Peter was the closest disciple to Jesus. And so Peter went to Rome on a missionary journey and he started telling Gentiles, non-Jewish people, thousands of miles away from where Jesus grew up and lived and where he grew up and lived about the life of Jesus and what he did. And as he was getting to the end of his life, the people said, please write it down. Mark, write this stuff down so we have a written account and not just have to remember what Peter said. And so Mark wrote this down so everybody could have it for now thousands of years, which is incredible. And for years though, what we want to really focus on that this is the only gospel account that was written down out there. So for the people in Rome, this was all they had other than verbal accounts. This is the only written account of Jesus's life. That's really remarkable when you think about it. There's no other written source to base their faith on. People living thousands of miles away had to just take Peter's word for it, <laughs> right? And then Mark's written word for it without anything. There's no, there's no attachment to them. There's no connection. There's no shared belief or history or blood. And they're choosing to turn away from centuries of belief that they had in Roman gods and, and their ancestors before them to this new belief in Christ just on this account. It's remarkable. Now, on this side of history, we've got just a wealth of resources and materials to pull from to verify and supplement what Mark's saying. But as we go through this, I want us to do our best just to put us in the situation of the people in that day. All right? 
We're hearing this story, Mark's retelling, Peter's account, for the very first time. There's nothing else we have. We're just relying strictly on it. And I want us to do that not to handicap us, but to allow it to really speak, to breathe, to, to inform and shape us in a unique way that this account really only can, all right? Now, with that out of the way, I want us to kind of really quickly recap what we did. Last week, Mark introduces us to Jesus. There's no story, though. There's no birth story. There's no angels, shepherds, ancestry, lineage, none of that. There's just Jesus jumping on the scene at the River Jordan in Israel uh, with this guy named John, who's this crazy guy who was out in the wilderness taking, you know, eating locusts and, and wearing animal hides, right? He was just out of, out of this world, crazy. And Jesus shows up and was doing what thousands of others were doing, which was getting baptized. And as Jesus gets baptized, as he comes up out of the water, we said heaven came down, right? There was a tearing in the sky, Mark says, and the voice of God speaks, just blessing Jesus directly. And what we find is soon after that, he begins making this just incredible claim, as we discussed, that the kingdom of God was coming, that he was carrying forward God's rescue operation for Israel and really for the whole world, that he was beginning to restore all things to the way they were in the very beginning of time by confronting evil in all its forms, by breaking its hold over people, by inviting them to live under God's rule and reign by following him. It was a bold move that forced many to begin asking this question that we ended on last week of who is this guy, right? Who is Jesus, really? Who is he really? We left off last week with that question lingering and hoping that Mark would fill in the blanks, and he begins to during this week that we're going to cover. But before we do that, I want us to go to the question, and let's talk through this in a few minutes here. Can you remember somebody in your life who is a commanding authority figure, all right? So we're going to take five minutes, all right? We're going to keep our normal routine here at Faith. We're going to take a five-minute break, make sure, hey, if you're at your house, grab a cup of coffee, right? Or take some water or, or change your clothes if you feel like it. Do whatever you want. If you're here in person, we have some coffee and stuff. We want to hang out and discuss this question together. We're going to meet back in five. Make sure you share this post with someone, encourage them to watch, and we'll discuss this question and more in just a few minutes, all right? See you then. During the, uh, when we first got online in the pandemic, we had this whole setup. It was more like a studio than it was a church. And so this morning I said, well, we might get two or three people to show up. So we're going to kind of recreate that a little bit because the lighting's a little better when you do it this way. And so uh, I get to sit in the spotlight again, which is interesting. Um, and I can't see anything, by the way, just so you know. If I'm not looking at you, it's not because I don't like you. It's because I can't see you. I'm just kind of gauging where that camera might be. All right. <laughs> There's nobody here. That's right. Um, People would ask, by the way, during the pandemic, you're like, oh, what's the light? You know, do, would you want people back? I said, it's kind of nice. I can treat the camera like, you know, any person I want. So, the, you know, I'm the funniest, most well-liked person in the world when it's just me and the camera. So it's a little different when people are here. So, uh, all right, let's jump to this question, though. Authority. Anybody remember a commanding authority figure in your life? Dawn, I didn't give you a microphone, so I'm sorry. So you're going to have to kind of speak up as to what the online discussion was. Anybody got a commanding authority figure on there first? Senior drill instructor Walt, I hear that. I got mm -hmm, I remember a few of those in my life. Yep. All right, go ahead. No, the principal. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Brenda. Okay. All right. Ah, all right. Parents, grandparents, grandparents. That's interesting as a commanding authority figure. Normally they're fairly uh, lovable. <laughs> I said that um, one of the ushers at the church I grew up with. There you go. Very commanding. Awesome. He took his job seriously. 
Church ushers. That's right. That's why we. That's why we have Walt back here at the door. Normally, he's there to sit there to, to mean mug you out of here if you're not if you don't belong. No, I'm just joking. All right. Anybody else here in person got a commanding authority figure in your life that you think of? It's like, oh yeah, that person stands out above all the others. Or maybe maybe they don't. Maybe they just kind of stand out. No, everybody else has no commanding authority figures. Wow. All right. And. <laughs> Gotcha. <laughs> All right. I hear that. Awesome. I've known a few of those in my life. I try not to be that way. I have to cut my tongue short quite a few times. So I'm with you. All right. Authority, man. Authority is a funny thing, isn't it? As for humans, I think it's, it's, it's kind of, it's interesting watching sociologically how we interact with authority. Some of us see an authority and just immediately obey and comply. Who, who's our immediate obeyers? Like if, if somebody tells you something, you're like, oh, that's me. I'm going to do it. Whatever. If they're in power or authority. Nobody here. Nobody's an immediate complier. That's right. That's right. You're the second group. We're all the second group here, which is we're the rebels, right? If someone tells us not to do something, that's the first thing we're going to do, which is what I talked about with Anna this morning, right? We're not going to be dictated by who says to do what we're going to do. What we want to do, right? Forget authority. <laughs> right? It's fascinating. Right. Our American conception of authority comes from, uh, you know, the, our rebel side, I think, our revolutionary side, which says that uh, authority is derived from the consent of the governed. Right. That as Americans, we say, forget that. And, you know, we, we, you only have power because we say you have power. Right. That's kind of our motto. That's kind of our heritage and, and ancestry. You're in charge because we allow you to be right. But real authority, authority that goes beyond people and governments, isn't really about us giving someone the ability to be in charge. It's about recognizing their right to be in charge. Now, after claiming to be the Messiah, as we're following through the story of Mark here, the long-awaited, the promised Savior from God, Mark records that Jesus went to the local synagogue and he began to teach. But what I find fascinating about Mark recording this here and Peter retelling the story is that Mark doesn't record what Jesus said, he just says one thing. He said that he specifically, the people around Jesus said that he spoke and taught with authority, with authority. When Jesus claimed that in him, the kingdom of God was at hand, he wasn't talking about a new place, right? Uh, the, to people to move with borders. He was saying that there was a greater authority than the Jewish leaders of the Roman Senate present in that moment, that God is the ultimate authority, the only one with the right and the power to rule. And in Jesus, the same authority is present. You see, the Romans, again, we talked about we're hearing this from their perspective as Peter's telling this to people thousands of miles away from Jewish center life. The Romans hearing this for the first time would have immediately understood this. But we need a little context, I think. I think it's helpful. You see, when, it, when an ancient king would conquer a land, they would typically remove the former king and their court. They would release all the prisoners the former king had captured. And what Jesus was claiming here is that type of authority, that type of kingly authority. He was claiming that he was not just a king, but the king, right? Coming with the authority to conquer Satan, to redeem humanity, to release people from the power of evil. Earthly kings exercise their power through war, but Jesus exercised his authority through his teaching, primarily, and through miracles. And so it's no accident that Mark then goes to record Jesus casting out a demon from a local man. And then he goes to Peter's house and he heals Peter's mother-in-law. Then he goes out in town and everybody starts bringing him his sick people and he starts healing them all, all of it. See, Mark is using the words and the actions of Jesus to clue us in to who he is, to help us answer that question from last week. Who is this guy, right? Who is Jesus? 
The kingdom of heaven is at hand, and what is happening here is the king is exercising his authority. The spiritual realm is under his feet. The physical realm is subject to him. He's bringing relief, restoration, healing. All the marks of heaven invading earth are present in Jesus. The crowds at that moment, and this is all of chapter one, by the way, I'm kind of recapping. The crowds began to overwhelm him, so he kind of retreats to the countryside. But after a little bit of time, things cool down. He comes back to town which is where we pick the story up in chapter two. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, or if you just want to watch up here or somewhere across my chest, if you're online, I don't know where this is going to be, uh, make sure you know you can do that. We encourage you to, to look at Mark chapter two. We're just going through verses one through 12 today. All right. We're not covering the whole chapter, just one through 12. And let's see what Jesus is doing this week. All right. Mark two, one and two says, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered there, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. Mark does a great job, as always, setting the scene for us, right? Jesus is back in the city of Capernaum, which is a pretty large-sized town, preaching out of a typically-sized home in the area, which is not big, all right? This is not a giant house. It wasn't a mansion. It was a very standard size. But at this point, he's so popular that everybody and their brother is trying to get in to see him. So he could probably fit in about 50, which would be around our normal crowd here on a Sunday morning. Not today, but our normal crowd. And uh, so 50 people are t packed super tight in this house and it's so full that they had to even keep the door open. And people are kind of leaning out the door and leaning over and just trying to listen, right? They're just trying to catch a glimpse of Jesus or get a carried word that passes over 40 or 50 other heads to get to them. See, Jesus was magnetic, right? And he used every opportunity to teach and preach. He says he preached the word. What word? Repentance and trust. That was the mission. That was the call to accept the rule and reign of God through him in their everyday lives. Now, we get this scene. Jesus is preaching. He's teaching. The room's crowded. He's spilling out into the streets. The place is packed. And we notice, Mark's going to point something out, that there were many people trying to get in, but there were five individuals who stood out above all the others who were trying to get in because they're so desperate to, they're willing to go to incredible measures. So let's read that in Mark 2, verses 3 and 4. It says, And they came, they, we're going to find out who they are in a minute, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. <laughs> this is incredible. We're going to break this down a little bit. Put yourselves here. All right, each and every week we want to do this. When you get in the story, don't just read and say, oh, all right, okay, they brought Put yourself, you're in the crowd, all right? You're sitting there in this moment. You're standing outside the door. Place is packed, overflowing. You're trying to listen. You can't really see. But then you turn and you notice that of all the people coming, you see some that stand out, right? You see four guys approaching, carrying something. And you can't see because it's too far. But as they start closer, you realize, man, that's a, they're carrying a dude. They're carrying a man. He's coming. These four guys are carrying this guy. And they're obviously here to see Jesus, right? That's pretty clear. But you know there's no way they're going to get through a crowd. And nobody in that room, nobody at the door is going to make way. They're there. They're, they're listening intently. They're, they're, this is what they're going to do. So there's no space to come through. Even for a paralytic, they're, gonna, they're not moving. You can see in their eyes. Imagine themselves as you look in their faces. These are desperate but determined men. 
They see the crowd gathering. They realize there's no way for the man on the cot to get through. And I'm sure the guy on the cot at this point, who probably had to be convinced that by these four guys to actually come and do this, he's probably, I'm thinking, we don't know how long he's been paralyzed, but probably a while. He's probably just thinking, hey, man, it's too busy. I know we said we're going to come and, and try this Jesus thing and maybe it heal me, but this is not worth the effort. Don't try to force your way in. We're just, I'm just lay here. It'll be fine, right? Let's just take me home. But these guys aren't going to take no for an answer. So if they can't get through, they're going to go up and over, right? So we watch them. Again, we're in the crowd, right? Watch them as they're walking up the, the side and they notice, hey, there's the stairs that lead to the roof. And so they watch them as they go up the side of the stairs and they begin to, to head that way. And you're thinking, man, what good is it going to do if they get to the roof? How are they going to get in there? There's no hatch, right? This is not an attic. This is a flat roof, typical of the day. They can't just get in, right? And you watch as they struggle one stair at a time to get this whole man, on, a paralyzed man up on his mat up to this roof, right? Anyone here ever moved? I've moved a lot, man. I hate stairs, right? I hate stairs. It doesn't matter if they're big, wide stairs. Most of the time, they're not. Most of the time, they're narrow stairs, and they're small, and there's tight spaces, and you got to get a couch, or you got to get a bed, or something ridiculously heavy. It's got to be like the heaviest piece of furniture you own is the one that has to go to the top of the stairs, right? And it's just brutal, isn't it? I, mean, I can't stand it. Every time I see that, I'm like, no, I'm done. We're not, we're not moving this. We're just going to have to live with it down here, and everything else is soft and fuzzy and light can go upstairs, right? So imagine them in this moment. Imagine them as they're struggling to carry a man. Now, and this is a person. This is a piece of furniture. You drop a piece of furniture, hey, you can replace this. This is a person, right? And I'm sure the guy who's being carried is like, no, we don't need to do this, guys. We don't need to go up the stairs because if I fall or if you drop me, it's going to end bad. There's no safety railing. This isn't you know, OSHA certified. This is going to go bad for this guy, right? But these guys are so determined. Like, no, dude, we're making it up these stairs. We're getting to the roof. We're going to see Jesus. So they get up there. <laughs> now what? What are we going to do now? What are we going to dig? Most roofs in those days would have been made of tile and covered with thatch, like an uh, earth-like substance, right? And Mark doesn't say they brought tools, right? So they weren't prepared to, with some shovels to do this. So they're going to dig with their bare hands. This is how determined these dudes are. They are not settling. So they, they get in and they start digging and they got to clear an area away to be able to put a man on a mat through. This isn't just to dig a little hole to peep through and see Jesus. This is to clear the way to be able to push this dude down through and then lower him down in front of Jesus. This is incredible. Don't skip through this, right? This is an amazing moment. Now let's put ourselves on the other side. Jesus is sitting inside this house with this roof, right? Ceilings right connected. It wasn't like they had a second thing. It was just the ceiling, roof, all one thing, right? So Jesus is sitting there talking. He's preaching repentance and trust. He's talking about the kingdom of God. Everybody's listening really carefully. And as they're doing that, they start hearing. And it's just kind of, I love I love finding the amusement. Maybe it's just because I like to laugh, but I love finding the amusement and things. So I can imagine people hearing that and being like, what in the world? Who is on the roof, right? There's no Santa Claus. So it wasn't Christmas. So there wasn't no Santa. It's not reindeer. What is happening? You know, here in Poundville, it's probably mice or a squirrel or something, right? But that's not it. This is, this is determined digging. I can imagine Jesus probably somewhat distracted. I, I don't know. Maybe he wasn't. But I can imagine thinking probably the same thing. What's going on here? And the debris would have started falling on people's heads, right? So you imagine you're sitting in that room trying to listen to Jesus. You have a hard time focusing in church, maybe. Maybe you're at your house and the kids are running crazy right now. It's hard to focus. Imagine trying to listen to Jesus when somebody's dropping stuff on your head, right? 
That might happen here in church one day. I don't know. You never know in this space. Stuff's falling on them from the ceiling. They got to think, what in the world is going on? Imagine the owner of the house, right? He's probably sitting close to Jesus. He would have had the right in that day to be able to be close to the, to the teacher at the moment, right? So he's sitting in, the, in his own house thinking, what is going on? And then as he starts to see hands come through his ceiling, he's probably freaking out. Like, what in the world? Why are people digging through my house to, to do this, right? It's, it would have been, been madhouse. This is crazy. All for Jesus, right? All for him. Now put yourself in the place of the men who are digging. They love this man. Clearly. Clearly they love this guy. They're willing to go to absurd lengths to see him get better. They weren't going to take no. They didn't say, wow, the crown's too big. Oh, man, it's just not. No, this roof is too hard. We can't dig through it with our hands. They didn't care. They were going to do whatever it took, however it took to get it done, to get this man to Jesus. Hmm. Now put your place in the man of the guy on the cot, right? Think of his place. Unable to move, hopeful for a miracle, but probably not certain of it, right? Thinking, man, Jesus can heal. I've seen it. I've heard the stories, but I'm paralyzed. I'm not just sick. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. Probably had resigned himself that nothing really is going to make a difference at this point. And what else does he have to do? He has no other choice, but what does he do there with these guys? He's relying them, relying on them, on their strength, their compassion. He's got to rely on them for every single thing in this moment and probably before here. Who do you most identify with? You don't have to tell me, just think. The paralytic, relying on others completely. The friends who are determined to help no matter what. If we're honest, I know we are. I think we're both at different times in our lives, right? I was speaking, ironically, Dave is one of the people who made it today. Thank you, Dave. Dave was, uh, was, was talking last week, and we're talking about what church, being church means, right? And on some level, these men typify a very church-like concept, that being the church means taking turns carrying each other. Every time we meet, whether it be a Sunday morning or Fireside Fridays, which you do in the falls, or, or women's group or men's group, we're just going for a walk together. The goal should be to approach every moment with the mentality of who can I carry today? Right? Now, that's the goal, but I understand the reality because I've lived it and you've lived it, right? The reality is that some days you're going to need to be carried. I mean, some moments you're like, yep, I got this. I can carry somebody today through the strength of Christ. However, other days you'll be like, man, I can barely get myself up out of bed. In that moment, we need to allow ourselves to be carried by others in the church. That's what it is. That's part of it anyway. And that's what these men are living out in this moment, in this story. They knew that what they needed went beyond themselves. And that this miracle-working, Messiah-claiming man had something they couldn't find anywhere else. They were desperate, they were determined, and they wouldn't be denied. You see, Faith means admitting that you have a need. I need to trust someone more trustworthy than yourself. These guys understood that. Now, with the man surprisingly lowered in front of Jesus, what does Jesus do? Something equally surprising we'll find. Let's read verse 5 to find out. Verse 5 says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. The boldness of the four friends is remarkable. 
The action's strange, maybe a bit, again, absurd, like we mentioned before, but it's equally matched with the strangeness of Jesus' statement here. You see, the crowd that day, the readers, the hearers of Mark's first statement, or, or Peter recounting this story, us this morning, expect him to heal the man just as he's done countless times already, but he doesn't at first. Instead, he gives forgiveness. Right? Mark does a great job, really, here of subverting the narrative to make a bigger point. We're conditioned to see Jesus as a miracle worker, and that's a key component of his mission identity. But remember the question Mark was setting up in chapter one Who is Jesus? By pronouncing the forgiveness of sins, he's saying he's more than a miracle worker. He's announcing that he has a far more powerful authority because Jesus makes two incredible, incredible claims. We just glaze over here because we're conditioned to this. We just kind of skip it. In this one statement to this man, he makes two remarkable claims. First, he calls the man's son. Now, that man obviously wasn't Jesus's real son, right? He didn't have any. The Greek word here literally means child, which is a, a relationship, a special relationship of love and care that goes beyond just knowing somebody. So what has this man done to enter into such an intimate relationship with Jesus? He's never met him before, as far as we know. He gets called son, he gets called child because he has trusted who Jesus was, who Jesus said he was. The Apostle Paul would later write this, Galatians 4, 4, and 5. He said, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Who does the adopting? God. What does Jesus say to the man? Son, my son. He's saying, I've adopted you, right? To Jesus, this wasn't a random guy, this was family. The second claim that Jesus makes is far more scandalous. He says, your sins are forgiven, right? Here's a little Bible trivia. This is the only place recorded in Mark where Jesus actually directly forgives someone's sins. Whole book, one time. Why does Mark put it here? Because this is a powerful statement, but it's also an incredibly dangerous statement in Jesus's day. By pronouncing the forgiveness of sins, Jesus is claiming the authority, and not just the authority, but claiming, really, to be God himself. Isaiah 43, 25 says, this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. He says, I, I am he, meaning God, who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. You see, prophets have been known to heal people, but to forgive sin was the right of God and God alone until now. Now, see, Mark doesn't give us the paralytic's response, but he shifts the focus to another group in the room who to this point have been silent. Scribes, teachers of the Mosaic law, highly educated, highly religious men, incredibly passionate men about their heritage and about their beliefs. And they respond to this in a very understandable way. Mark, six, Mark 2, 6 and 7 says, Now some of the scribes were sitting there, and they questioned in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming, Right? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They knew Isaiah 43, 25, right? These men were trained in every regard, every detail, the proper worship of God. They had devoted their entire lives to study and application. And up to this point, they're interested in Jesus. They don't want to hear what he has to say. He seems like a, a wise teacher, a great prophet. Someone can do miracles. That's great. But when Jesus speaks those words, they begin to seem as dangerous and damning. Because they see themselves as defenders of the truth and honor of God. 
And immediately they were going to recoil, and they did. Immediately recoiled by hearing any mere man claiming that he was, had the right, like God, to forgive sins. They recognized immediately that by doing this, Jesus wasn't just saying he had authority like God or from God, but that he was God. And Jesus responds, as he's so, man, he's so good at this, responds to their questioning, not with an answer directly, but with another question. Mark 2, 8 and 9. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your, son, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? In other words, do you think this is all talk, right? And I'm just pretending that I've got this power and authority? I'll prove it to you that I do. See, this man has been in prison in his own body, much like we and every other human is trapped by our sin and guilt. And Jesus is about to heal the man to prove his right to rule and reign over all things by setting this man free from both his affliction and his guilt before God. Now, the scribes are in a real bind here, all right? And they don't know how to respond. If Jesus heals the man, then he's clearly claiming clearly exercising the authority to forgive sin as well. In that case, the scribes had no other option than to worship him. And that was something they were not prepared to do. They were not going to do it at all, no matter what. Now, this is something, again, we tend to glaze over. We put ourselves past this moment. But I want you to put in your position of the, of the scribes. They had put this question before them. Who is Jesus? He's claiming to be God. Now, Jesus is God is something we just take for granted right? As, as Christians, as believers, now if you're not a believer, you're thinking, I don't know, maybe I don't know if he's God or not. What does that even mean? I don't know. But if you're a believer, you're looking at this and saying, all right, Jesus is God, whatever, move on. But this is something we really, really don't need to take for granted, and you really should consider in depth. Really. And the moment in this story is the, is the, is the moment we need to take to reflect on this claim. You see, we live in a very pluralistic culture, in a very pluralistic, even community here in Pownall, and around us, right? Jesus is fairly well liked as a good teacher, as one of many ways to God. But right here near the beginning of Mark's recounting of this gospel account, he makes this incredibly controversial statement by Jesus. So we can ask ourselves the same question the scribes were asking, is he really God? Not a God, but the God, the one and only God, the creator and sustainer of all things, is he? And you think, well, sure he is, whatever. What does that matter? It matters because of this. The way you answer this question changes how and what you really worship. If he's God-like, but not totally God, then you're forced to do something in your spiritual life. You're forced to supplement Jesus, right? It becomes Jesus and your effort. It becomes Jesus and superstition. It becomes Jesus and karma. It becomes Jesus and other prophets. It becomes Jesus and angels or saints. It becomes Jesus and the state. It becomes Jesus and something. Because if he's not fully God, then he doesn't have the full authority and power and right to rule over earth, creation, your life, all of it, any of it. If he's just God-like, you've got to add something too to be able to, to really make things work spiritually. That's how this works. But if you accept and believe that Jesus is, is the God, the one and only God, and you don't need anything else, then, you've, then you're, 
You've got what? You've got the claim. He's all you're really going to need. He's all you ever will need, period. You don't need Jesus and. It's just Jesus. He's it. The scribes are wrestling with this as we should, rightly. But Jesus doesn't wait for them to give a lame, half-hearted response as they typically (laughs) wish-washed. He doesn't wait. He says in verse 10 and 11, he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So in other words, let me prove to you again that I have the authority not just to heal this man, but by healing this man, his sins are forgiven as well. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your mat, pick up your bed, and go home. In other words, I can talk the talk and walk the walk. I am who I say I am, whether you believe I am or not. Now, Mark doesn't record the scribe's response. (laughs) There's multiple controversial counters of the scribes. We'll get to them next week. But instead, he turns to the man in the crowd. Mark 12. I love this part. And he rose, meaning the paralytic man, and he immediately picked up his bed, and he went out before them all. So they're all just amazed, right? And glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this, right? Whoa! Holy smokes, the man gets up and he walks out and the mat that had been his prison becomes a symbol of freedom. Imagine this moment, right? Don't take this for granted. Imagine this. Can you see the joy and the exasperation as he gets up? You imagine when Jesus says, rise and get up and walk. And he's like, oh, I can't get up. Oh, I can't move that toe. Oh, that leg does work. All these hands do work. And he gets up and he starts to walk that, he's, that maybe he hasn't done this in years, maybe ever, we don't know. So he's getting up and experiencing this for the first time. He begins to walk around the room and the people are like, are you serious? This guy just literally just got up. He was stuck on this mat. He had to be lowered down, helped by friends. And now he's walking around us. They would, their mind's blown here in this moment. And you imagine him breaking through the crowd and starting to run down the street. Put yourself there, right? His mat flying like a cape behind him, right? Like Superman, Imagine the friends up on the roof. They're watching this whole thing. Like, what is Jesus going to do? Forgive sins? Well, that's great. But really, I want this man to walk. And then he gets up and he walks. And they're like, holy smokes, it actually happened. And they got to run off the roof. They got to run down the stairs. They struggled up. And they forget everything else. And they're just chasing after the guy, trying to catch up to him. You imagine the, the family, the friends that when he walks back in his house, walks back in his house. <laughs> He was set free physically, more important, spiritually. He was made new and he was made whole inside and out. He was given new life that was made only possible by God that truly gives it. The crowd was amazed. They were shouting. They were stirring at the city. We ain't seen nothing like this, right? They were, they were, they were amazed. They were blown away by the authority of Jesus shown in the healing, but more importantly, in the forgiveness of sins. The arrangement of the crowd's response and the lack of response from the scribes is very intentional here by Mark. It invites us to choose sides as hearers and readers. Are we more interested in being right and in control, rigidly holding to our background and our beliefs so much that we can't even fairly consider the evidence that Jesus provides? Or are we open? to the claims of Christ, that his power and authority and the implication that that carries into our lives. If he is God, that changes everything. 
everything. So for seekers this morning, I want to first thank you for spending your morning with us. If you stuck with me through this story to this, this point, I appreciate you doing that. Maybe you checked out by now. Hopefully you checked back in because this is what we're here for. We're here to, to wrestle with tough questions like, is Jesus God? We're not afraid. We're not circumventing this moment. We're not just glazing over. We're not going to talk about love and grace and mercy and all this. We'll cover those later. But right now, is Jesus God? Are you ready to accept him as such? And at what point, once you've reached your conclusion to that answer, at that point, you're going to have to make another decision. Are you willing to throw out all the things you're carrying with you that have gotten you or helped you, crutched you along in life? Your beliefs, your, again, some of this, the ancestry stuff, the superstition, all this stuff that's kind of carried around in our lives, the baggage of spiritual things that helped us cope. Jesus throws it back in our face and says, it's me or that, not both. Don't put me as one idol amongst many. He is God above all. Are you willing to put all that away and choose him and him alone? That's a tough question to answer. And one I pray you don't take lightly. If you flippantly say, oh, I love Jesus, I'll take it, whatever, great. And don't it seriously examine that, you will fall back into trusting in things other than him and find yourself in a ditch spiritually. Don't rush it. Examine it. Live in it, breathe in it. Figure it out. Look at the evidence. Now, if you're ready and you're saying, man, I'm, 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 like, I'm like that crowd, I'm amazed, and I'm ready to follow. I'm trusting in him. Maybe you're the man who's a paralytic who can't do anything. Maybe, maybe you've cared some people. But whatever it is, your moment that you're in, you're realizing that I need to trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that in just one minute. But if you're still struggling, hey, that's all right, man. I've been there. Ask questions. All right, we'll talk through it. It's all right. We might disagree. That'll be okay too, right? Let's talk through it together. Try to sort this stuff out because these are important things that we shouldn't ignore. So I want to encourage you to keep coming back, keep watching, keep being here in person, experience this journey as we go through this living with Jesus moment, all right? For believers, this text calls us to two things. It calls us a lot of things, but it calls us to two things I want to highlight. One, I want us to know what we believe. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, <laughs> do it with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that's in you. If we claim to have the best news in the whole wide world beyond this world, we better have a doggone good statement, a good answer for when someone asks us what that means. What does that really mean, right? How are you so happy? How are you so joyful? What, how, how does this work? And to really be able to articulate it in a way that they can understand, accept it, and at least process it. Not just say, well, I got Jesus. Well, what in the world does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. Be prepared to give a defense. Jesus is God. How does that make, how does that mean? What does that impact do? How does that change your life? Know why and be able to tell somebody else why. Two, right? Don't take for granted what Jesus has given you in the forgiveness of your sin. Okay? Seekers, he doesn't just heal things. He heals you. He makes you new again. Forgiveness of sin is wiping the slate clean. That is only in Jesus. All right? Nothing else. There's no other way to God. It is him and him alone, and he gives it to you freely. Believers, don't take that for granted, right? We sit here and say, oh, I'm forgiven. Well, whatever. Forget that. 
dwell in that moment. Ephesians 2, 4, 9, Paul was, man, he really hammers on the forgiveness and the grace and just the work of Jesus on the cross. He says, but God being rich in mercy, right? Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and not worth anything in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ, alive together with Christ. And we say, ah, I kind of believe in Jesus. I go to church. No, alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him. He didn't just rescue you. He raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're not just sinners saved by grace. We are sons and daughters of the King sitting in heaven and experiencing it. When we live out as a church, living as heaven is on earth right here and right now, right? He has raised us up here in heavenly places so that in the coming ages, verse seven, that he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Immeasurable riches. You think, oh, I don't care about mansions. I don't care about gold streets. We get hung up on those things. Forget that. Immeasurable riches is experiencing life in the power and presence of God each and every day. That's what we experience when Christ raises us up through his death and resurrection. We have immeasurable riches in his grace in him. Verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. This immeasurable riches, grace and gift of God, forgived of sin, dead tomorrow, alive in Christ, right? People so live in fear of dying. We take so many times, we spend our lives avoiding anything that might cause us to even be sick. And when Christ, he says, sick, die, whatever, I'll bring you through it, I'll heal you one, or you'll come home and you'll experience me in person, in the presence, in the moment. That's the hope, that's the measurable riches. That's what we have in Christ Jesus, that fear and, and, and anxiety and doubt are washed away because who cares? We have Christ and he has raised us to new life and will give us life eternal, has given us life eternal when we accept and trust and follow him. Forgiveness of sins. That does that, he does that. So know what you believe this week. Jesus as the one and only God, the savior of all, and be ready to share that belief. Those immeasurable riches with those God's brings in your life this week. Let's pray. Those of you in the house, I encourage, because there's not really anybody here, so it's not that big of a deal, but I encourage you, if you like to, to bow your head and, and get in a moment with Jesus, um, I want you to do that. If you're online, I encourage you to take that time as well. Jesus says find a private space, a quiet space. It doesn't have to be a literal closet or a literal room, but just a place where you can take a moment and just sit with him. If you're a seeker, this is your moment here to wrestle with that question, is he God? If you're ready to accept him and hey, say what, what he does, what he has given you is forgiveness this morning. Whenever you, whenever you accept and trust that he has the authority to, that he is God, he has authority to forgive your sins, to heal you, you're living in life. You're living a new life in him and him alone. You don't need anything else. And so in this moment, we're gonna pray for those who are seeking and those who are responding this moment to that call of Christ. And then we're going to pray corporately again in just a sec. So let's pray that. If you're here and you want to respond to Christ, this is, just say these words. You don't have to say these exact words, but something like this. Call out to Christ. Say, dear Jesus, I recognize that you have the authority, the right to, to rule, to reign, to restore, to redeem. 
whoever you see fit and whatever you see fit. And God, I'm just blown away, amazed by your grace and your mercy that you have chosen me. And I'm, I'm far from you. I'm far removed from anything and everything that looks holy or, or righteous or good. But Lord, you, you say you forgive me. Lord, I accept that. I thank you for it because I need it. Lord, help me to take and accept that forgiveness and help me to give it to others in my life this week. To live with you and you alone. Now, if that's you this morning and you said that prayer, one like it. I want to encourage you, if you're in person, I believe most of us here are already believers, but if you're online, I want to make sure you know the opportunity there is this is just a beginning and not just the end result. I want to go on this journey with you as a church we do. So make sure that you're liking or loving a comment. This is the call and mission of Christ. This is exactly what we're here for, is for people who are far from God to be brought near through him and to start a journey together with him. So let us know. Like or love a comment we're going to post. Follow up with us. Don't wait in this moment. Say, I've responded. We're going to follow up with you. We're going to reach out to you. You're not alone. It's an incredible journey we're going to do together. I'm excited to be on it with you. For believers and everyone else as we wrap up this week, let's pray this together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your divine providence, God, in your wisdom, God, you saw people who were far from you and you didn't say, ah, forget it. God, you said, I'm coming to rescue you. Lord, you sent your son, God, to come and enter into this world, Father God, to, to forgive sins, to heal people, to work miracles, God, Lord, to see authority, to see heaven on earth in real time, God, and to call them all to you. God, we're all called to you in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray we respond to that, God. I pray that as believers, we, we, we know what we believe, that we don't just guess, that we don't just remember what someone told us, that we dive into your word and say, hey, you are God. God, and that is all we need. You are all we need, that we don't need all this other junk that sometimes fills our lives. Let us be solely focused on you, Jesus. God, remind us that that is our call, our purpose. God, your plan for our lives as we pursue you with all that we have, God, and you alone. And God, that we do it in a way that invites others in. Lord, that we celebrate the immeasurable riches that we have in you. God, and that we say, come and experience it with us. God, that we don't leave it to ourselves, that we pronounce good news, that we live on mission with you, that we don't wait, but that we live out the call, as Peter says, with gentleness and respect. But God, that we are ready to provide not only defense, but a proclamation of awesome, good, earth-shattering news to every person we encounter this week. That we live it as families that we model it to our children. God, that we do it in a gathering, whether online or in person, Lord, that we experience heaven on earth. Whether here, in a space, together, or wherever we are as your church, Lord, may we live out that calling to know you, to proclaim you, to share you in everything we do. In Jesus' name we pray. 